Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Um, saints and sinners, let's get into God's word. Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Verse 18 says, Let this be written for a future generation. Psalm, David sort of says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. This is a man speaking under the law of Moses. He says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. He was speaking at that time. Now, we are the people that were not yet created. We are the Gentiles, we are the people from outside that were not yet created, but now we, that we may praise the Lord. And this is why we are praising the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven, he viewed the earth. God looked down from heaven, from the sanctuary, from the temples not made with human hands, but, you know, with eternal, the eternal habitation, like the writer of Hebrews says. And in verse 20, now says, to hear the groans of the prisoners, and release those condemned to death. Hallelujah. These future generations were praising God because God heard our prayer. God looked down on us and had mercy on us. He heard the groans of the prisoners to release the, those that are condemned to death. We were prisoners on death row. We were condemned to death. Hallelujah. Verse 21 now says, So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion. And his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. So all the people and the kingdoms, all the nations of the earth, apart from the Jewish nation, they have gathered unto the Lord to worship him. Why? Because the Lord looked down from heaven. Praise God. The Lord looked down from heaven to release those condemned to death. Praise God. We were prisoners on death row. We were all prisoners of our sins. We were condemned to death. Our, our sure destiny was death. Our sure destiny was death. But he looked down and he released us. Hallelujah. I want to go forward that within the series so I can really understand. Because when we say we were prisoners of our sin, where was this sin that we were prisoners of? Because it looks kind of funny. It looks kind of unfair. They just gave birth to me, and they gave birth to me as a prisoner on death row. What did I do? Whose fault is it? Hallelujah. Where? So we were prisoners of our sin. Our sins, we know we were imprisoned. We were sent to prison for our sins. And our sins was meant to get us death for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. Praise God. We talked extensively about this last week. We talked about all those that came before Jesus said one thing consistently that Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. We saw what he said of himself that he came to deliver us from our sins. We saw what his holy apostles said of him that he came to deliver us from our sins. For 2,000 or sorry, for 1,900 years of church history, Christians have always known that Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. Then America finished World War II and did not became rich and then some Christians now are dead to it and said, 
Jesus came to deliver us from our sins and to make us rich. Hallelujah. That's why if you promise things that Jesus did not promise, and those things don't come to pass, you know a thinking person is right to ask, what else is Jesus lying about? You know, if someone comes and tells you that this guy has promised you something, and then on the day that you want the thing, you ask him, the guy does not show. Will you trust the person? Will you trust the person? You can't. So that's why there's this pipeline. There's a pipeline from American gospel to atheism and agnosticism. Pipeline. You recruitment. You deal with some things long enough. You are promised some things long enough. Those things don't happen. You see the broken nature of the world. You see the futility that is in the world. That Paul has already warned us about that we should expect. That God did on purpose. You are seeing what the Bible tells us God did. But you are expecting something else that God did not see. You will not get angry and say everybody's lying. All pastors are scams. Everybody's fake. They're just rich. Hallelujah. Church, you understand what's happening here? So Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. I want to say this for you to understand and explain. Because I've noticed that anytime I talk about these things, there's always that mind, especially for those that are listening to me for the first time, there's always that mind of, ah, so, on what basis are we trusting God to meet our needs for? Brothers and sisters, listen to me. That question itself is a fruit of the amount of damage that has been done to our hearts. Are you with me? That question itself is a fruit of the amount of damage that has been done to our hearts. The confidence upon which we trust God to meet our needs is because God is our Father. And God is good to us. We don't need to add to the works of salvation. We don't need to add to the Bible. We don't need to distort the Bible or do injury to the Bible. The basis upon which Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, had he died when he said it? Had he died when he said it? When he said, seek and you will fight, had he died when he said it? When he said, your father is better father than all of you. You people, if your children ask you for bread, you don't give them stone. If they ask you for bread, you don't give them serpents. If they ask you for fish, you don't give them serpent or scorpion. How much more your father in heaven? Had he died when he said it? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of what? Jacob. He's the same God that multiplied five loaves and two fishes when his people, when he had mercy on them because they were hungry and they were saving him. Church, listen to me. If you have financial problems, if you have health problems, look at what Apostle James said. If anybody's in trouble, do what? Pray. Pray. The problem is to now say that's what Jesus died for. If Jesus died for something and that thing does not happen in your life, we have to question whether the death of Jesus is efficacious. Whether it actually works. If Jesus died for us to have money and we don't have money, how can we be sure that we won't have forgiveness of sins? Do you hear what I just said now? If Jesus died for us to have money and we don't now have the money, how can we be sure that even the forgiveness of sins, we have it? They will tell you that you, the reason why you don't have money is because you don't have enough faith. You have not built your faith up enough. That there's an added faith. After believing in Jesus, there's another faith that you must have for you to have money. So does that mean that we have to have another faith for forgiveness of sins? Because I don't want the one that on judgment day I will get there and they will now say, ah, no, is that fire? I'll say, ah, sir, they said, you know, you do not have enough faith. You no problem, good day. Why is it that you don't need extra faith for forgiveness of sins, but you need extra faith for money? You need extra faith for healing. You need extra faith for marriage. 
All those internal contradictions and things that don't make sense for someone that's paying attention just comes from one simple place because Jesus never said that. All the material things, all the material blessings are given to us for, for us to richly enjoy. It was built into the earth, though with limitations. God built it into the earth, but with limitations. So that's why we will experience trouble, but we also experience times of material comfort. That's how it has always been. That's how it will always be until Jesus comes. There will be a time when there will be persecution again. A time is coming when there will be persecution again. A time of tribulation is coming. That's how it is. Jesus told us we should expect trouble in this world, but we should be of good cheer because he has overcome. Jesus did not die to give you a perfect, comfortable material life. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. And like I said last week, the biggest danger of this matter is that when you add material things that a natural man values to the things that Jesus did, what it, ha- what it does is that it, what it does is that it diminishes the weight of what Jesus actually did. If you tell people that Jesus died for forgiveness of sins and money and health and marriage, for a natural man, which one is most important to him? So that kind of person, he cannot give thanks for forgiveness of sins when he doesn't have money. He will ask himself, do you understand? That's why the forgiveness of sins is not a big deal for many people. It's not heavy on their mind. There's a way you grow in sanctification, and my prayer is that all of you here will experience it over time. There's a way you grow in sanctification. When you begin to realize more and more the evil of your sin, that when we sing a song that says, hey, he has forgiven me, you will not know when you start crying. You will not know. Because you now realize that what Jesus did for me is actually bigger than any material thing in this world. Imagine winning the whole world and having all the money in this world and still going to hell. But imagine suffering for even if it's 70, 80 years, you don't have money, you are taught generational poverty, generational costs on your life, whatever it is. But you wake up to see Jesus. Which one pay? And you know, now. Think about it. Which one pays? So when we're talking about forgiveness of sins, it's not a small thing he has done for us. It's a big thing. It's the most important thing. That's why David will call it the joy of salvation. Someone that was not even, had not even seen what God promised us. He saw it ahead. He called it the joy of salvation. As I was speaking in another place, he says that the, your composure, your behavior, when you are going to go and draw from the wells of salvation is what? Joy. When you realize what God has done for you, when you are interacting with it, your behavior will be joy. I know you guys, what you guys heard is that it is with joy that you draw from the wells of salvation. That means if joy is the seed, if you don't have joy, you cannot draw. Hallelujah. No, sorry, it was David that said it. Actually, what it means, what we're going to read it, it says that the behavior, the composure of somebody that is going to approach the well of salvation is joy because when you know I'm coming to drink of the wells of salvation, will you not be happy? Joy is the natural state of a man that knows what God has done for him. Joy is the natural state of a man that knows what God has done for him. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we were all on death row. He says that we're all prisoners condemned to death. Ah. We're all prisoners condemned to death. But he looks from above to deliver us. Hallelujah. So that's why we sing his praise. 
That's why we sing his praise. I'm not going to hell. Praise God. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to be with the Lord when I leave this world. In fact, the Lord is already with me now. He has given me his Holy Spirit as a seal of that coming glory and redemption. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's much more than money. I will walk with my hands. When I have needs, I will pray to God. But it's much more than money. Even if it's one talent that the Lord allots to me, that one talent is more than enough because I have something more than that. You understand what I'm saying? That's why I don't have envy. The Lord has given some people five talents. There's no problem. God bless you, brother. My one talent is enough because I have something much more than gold. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. See, I want to finish today because so we might take a little bit more time, right? Because what is left cannot span for a whole service. And all. So let's finish today. When we say that the problem was sin and it was a big problem, I want to really explain to you from the Bible that this problem was sin was inside everywhere. We could not escape it. The problem was sin. We were prisoners because of our sin and were condemned to death. We were on death row because of our sins. This sin that was the problem, where was it? Let me show you. The first place that I'll talk about where the sin was was that it was in our nature. It's what we call in Christianity the original sin. This sin was in our nature. We had a nature. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12 says, Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people, because all what? Sinned. So every human being sinned. What is the connection? One man sinned, and everybody now became a sinner. Everybody now started sinning. What was the connection? Verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So even though all of us were not physically there in the Garden of Eden, all of us were not physically there in the Garden of Eden, all of us became sinners and death began to reign through all of us. Look, at, let's just jump to verse 19 because of time. Verse 19 now says, just for, now says, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many may have made what? Sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made what? Righteous. So, the man that was our biological father, Adam, all of us are born by him. And, you know, our mother Eve. Through their disobedience, all of us became sinners. We were sinners by nature. We had a, a life. Our nature was one that was sinful. That means that the moment they give birth to us and we have any self-awareness, the moment we have any self-awareness and our minds are open to be able to make choices, from that very moment, because of our nature of sin, we want to be doing bad things. From the moment we have any self-awareness, we want to begin to do evil. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says, So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the heavenly man, so are those who are of what? Heaven. 
And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. There was an earthly man, Adam, the first Adam. We have his image. Well, we had his image. And the time is coming, you know, when there will be a combination that we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, who is who? Jesus. That's why Romans chapter 7 describes the dilemma of every human being. Romans chapter 7 describes the dilemma of every human being from verse 14. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, for I, but, I am uns, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We have a nature where we are slaves of sin. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Hallelujah. There was something inside of us that makes us always want to sin. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. When Adam fell, something happened. Sin, all of us were made sinners. Sin started living inside of us. So when we say that we're prisoners on death row, the first place where sinners sin was, was where? Inside of us. It is that thing that makes nobody to be righteous before God. Because there is nobody in this world that will not sin. Do you understand what I'm saying to you now? And God is just. You cannot say you're a sinner and you just you do evil and go scot-free. Nobody wants to worship that kind of God. Nobody wants an unjust system. As much as we are sinful, even in our sinfulness, all of us realize that an, a system of injustice is evil. All of us know that someone cannot kill somebody and go. All of us recognize it. Even though all of us are broken, even though all of us, you know, in our nature, there was sin inside, inside of us. In James chapter 1, the Bible talks about where does sin come from. It says that we have desires, and when we give in to those desires, those desires become sin, and when sin matures, it turns towards death. Do you know where desires come from? Desires come from your nature. You understand what we're saying now? If something is not in your nature, you will not desire it. If something is not in your nature, you will not desire it. The reason why a dog wants to bark is because that faculty is inside of the dog. The reason why a lion does not want to eat grass, but wants to eat other people, is because it eats nature. Hallelujah. So the reason why every human being desires to sin, no man is sinless. Every man has sin walking inside of him. So there was no way out. There are certain people that you might have heard it before when you hear, you hear using big words like Pelagianism, right? There was a bishop that said it sometimes in the 4th century and all that, and some people have started saying it today in hypergrace circles, that um, people are born are sinless. Nobody's a sinner. And all those kinds of ridiculous things. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm telling you guys, it's a new religion, all right? It's just a matter of time, you will see, they also make their own Bible, all right? You understand now. That's, you see, there are problems. Brothers and sisters, none of you can be righteous by yourself. We all have sinned and have come short of the glory of who? Yusuf knew. Yusuf knew. That sin is working inside. <laughs> all the bad things that you don't want to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. And that is the, that is the, 
um, you know, that is the, 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 uh, the, all of us are comrades in this. <laughs> you understand? All of us are comrades. There's nobody in this world, no pastor, no bishop, that can come and say he cannot relate to struggling with sin. There's nobody. Nobody. Because sin is in our nature. Hallelujah. That sin, in other places, the Bible calls it the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 talks about how this, the flesh wants to do something contrary to the will of God. It wants to, wants to do contrary to the spirit. And the spirit wants to do contrary to the flesh. In Galatians chapter 8, it talks about the same thing too. The flesh wants to do contrary. And all of us have that flesh. Who does not have flesh here? Where did you get the flesh from? You don't know give it to you with it? Was it not from Adam you got it from? Uh-huh. Did you give yourself the flesh? Did you use free will to give yourself the flesh? See, I, I freely gave myself the flesh. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we had that desire, that nature. That's one. But it doesn't stop there, obviously. If you have the nature, what will you do? You act. So we now have sins in our actions. Not only do we have the nature that wants to sin, we actually sin. So we have sin in our actions, number two. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We also have sin in our actions. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It's like I'm wearing a better more because I'm really happy with myself this morning. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says, The acts of the flesh are what? Obvious. This flesh that we, hold, that we all have, it has certain acts. So sin is not just in our natures. The acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So not only do we have the flesh, that is that thing that makes us want to sin, we actually act it out. And so the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, and on and on and on. And I'm sure everybody here can relate with it. Some of those words look big, but you have been practicing them, you just don't know. You think witchcraft is until you go and do twer, 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 twer. Listen to me. Whenever you see someone's image behind the person, you are reporting the person to another person and you are distorting what you heard of the person. You exaggerate it a bit or you euphemize it a bit. And what you are communicating to the person is a different image of what you know of the person because you have an evil intention in your heart that you want to achieve on that person. You know what you have done? Or show witchcraft, <laughs> slander, bitterness, malice is witchcraft. The reason why it looks like as if people do to it, to it, to it is witchcraft is because of the kind of resources they have available to them. What I'm telling you is that if you had those kind of resources that he had, you will do it. So the resources that you have is just your bad mouth. That's why you're using it. If someone, you think I'm joking, if someone came and told you that there was one effigy, one door that you can use to choke, and the person will be feeling it where he is, you will do it. You don't understand. Debauchery. And this thing, we even bring it into Christianity. Debauchery. Living a life of low inhibitions and living anyhow without discipline. Sometimes we bring it into Christianity in the name of emotionalism and pietism. That is the reason why Apostle Paul told us that the way the believers behave in church is orderly. You can move from proper Christian emotionalism to debauchery. Let's, let's just continue. But all those things are the flesh. That's why they don't walk righteousness. 
That's why you people that do those things, it doesn't work righteousness, it doesn't work greater sanctification. It doesn't. Because it's the flesh. It is the enjoyment of your senses. It is pleasure to your senses, not growth to your spirit. Lord, we help us in Jesus' name. The acts of the flesh. So flesh is not even, you know, the, the sin is not just in our nature, it's also in our what? Actions. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at, look at the way verse 5 puts it. It says, those who live according to the flesh. So it's not just in us. It's the flesh is not just there, the potential. There's also the acts of the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So when, the, when James tells us that our desires is what leads to sin, those desires are from our flesh. Our flesh is our nature. You understand what I'm saying to you now? He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? Life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It does not have it. That's why we are prisoners on death row. We could not. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the what? The spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Don't worry, we're coming, to, we're coming back to this. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is the flesh. And lastly, there's sin inside our nature, in our flesh. There's sin in our actions, as if that's not bad enough. There's now sin in the world around us. There's no escape. <laughs> there's now sin in the world around us. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Look at the way Paul puts it in verse 4. Let's start from verse 3 so that the sentence can be complete. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We are living in a corrupt world, in an evil age. Your co-workers are sinful. People in the world around you are what? Sinful. The constraints on this world applies pressure on us. So not only do we have a nature of sin, the fact that the world is limited, there are people around us who are sinful, all these things also put pressure on us, do you understand that? That makes this world a terrible place. It's a broken world. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 4. It says, through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's corruption in the world. Not only is there sin inside of us, not only is there sin in our actions, there is sin and evil in the world. There's sin and evil in the world. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they are, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Do you see that? He's talking about what the people that they were living with, the people that are living with them, the kind of lives that they were living. He says you are not joining them to live the kind of life they are living. That is why they are heaping abuse upon you. Like I was telling you guys, if they are not calling you pastor in the office, by now, in this Nigeria, you know Nigeria is not a, it's not a Christian nation. Nigeria is not a Christian nation. 
if by now in the office people are not jokingly calling you pastor, uh, pastor in here, hey, brother, sister, are you sure you are saved? Because the way they live their lives, your life is meant to stand out. It's meant to, you cannot be looking like them. So they're seen in the world around you. When they're cracking jokes about girls' body parts and dirty jokes, they know that you keep quiet. They're supposed to know that they lay ye. You understand? When they are going out Friday night, Jekalo Shayi, you are the one that's always saying you are not going. They're supposed to know. Bro, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm calling bro, bro, bro. Let me call sister too for gender equity. Sister, <laughs> if they are not jokingly calling you pastor, there is problem. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, as you were dead in your trans- transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the role of the kingdom of the air and of the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Satan is even the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The air around you. Satan is, you understand what I'm saying? That's why you pick up your phone, the air that comes out of your social media. <laughs> Something happened to me yesterday night. I, yesterday night before I slept, I just picked up my phone, just went on Twitter and somehow Someone just tweeted one foolish thing to my tea. I was like, what kind of sinful word is this? Kilo day now. Can't I go and minister to people on Twitter in peace? I better just stay in my notification tab and not even go to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, please give them special seat too. You sit down special seat. If you are coming here now for front seats, you're supposed to sit down safe normally. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, do you understand what I'm saying now? I'm, I'm, no, of course, you guys can relate to what I'm saying now. Uh-huh. Because if you cannot relate, there's also a problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, because you've seen. See, ah. Immediately, I just close this thing and say, God, why? Praise God. So, there's sin in our natures, right? There's sin in our actions. And they're seen in the world around us. But Jesus delivered us. Praise God. He delivered us and he's delivering us. He delivered us, he's delivering us, and he will deliver us. Because, listen, if sin is in your nature, you know that's one problem. If sin is in your action, you know wherever sin is, God will judge it. If sin is in your nature, there's a problem. If there's sin in your actions, there's a problem. When there's now sin in the world around you, that's another word, problem. Jesus died so that he can deal with sin in every way it is. And he completed the work. Jesus died, suffered, and rose again from the dead to deal with sin everywhere it hides for our sake. So that we are completely delivered. That is the meaning of those who are, for those who are set free are free in, that's the meaning. That everywhere sin is can hide to make us prisoners on the way to death, Jesus has dealt with it in every way. How did we enter this deliverance? By faith. Not because of anything that we did. Not because of anything that we did. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 8. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's start from verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Praise God. The forgiveness of sins 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Hallelujah. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Hallelujah. Let's jump to chapter 2. So you can see how he did this. Verse 8 now says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. Our, the grace of God on our life is a gift. Even our faith, we cannot say it's because we, we, I, I use my free will. Even your faith is a gift. God helped you. Hallelujah. Even your faith is a gift. God helps you. It's not because we're a very good person. Praise God. We received it by faith. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from, from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe and declare. Not because of anything you did. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are what? Saved. It is by faith, not by your works. Praise God. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him, he will never put to shame. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth. All you have to do is to believe it in your heart and profess it. Because there's no believing without profession, obviously, isn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You believe and profess. You believe and profess. That's what we get. That's, what, that's how God saves us. John chapter 3. I'm sure everybody knows this by now because our own generation now overgraced the warriors. You understand the hand. Justification by faith that Martin Luther and Calvin cooked for us. We have finished it in this generation. Now we're on the other side. John chapter 3, verse 14. Look at what the Lord said himself. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man must be so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. How many people have believed the gospel here? And have you professed it? See, they don't profess in the corner. Say you know. You know you don't profess it. That's why they baptize. You will profess it in public. How many people have believed the gospel here? How many people have professed it? Don't worry, those of you who have not professed will profess for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise God. It's by faith. It's by faith. And because we have believed, let me now show you how God is dealing with sin inside of us in every way. There are four things I'll tell you, I'll tell you of. Four things. Write it down. The first is regeneration. Is God delivering us from the power of sin? This is the way Jesus is dealing with sin everywhere it is. So you know sin is in our nature. He deals with the sin in our nature by what? Regeneration. He delivers us from the power of sin. Number two, justification. Number two, justification. He delivers us from the penalty of sin. So we have committed actions, sins, actions. We have transgressed against the Lord and those actions require a judgment. Jesus delivered us from the penalty of those sins 
by justifying us. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Number three is sanctification. Sanctification. And Jesus is delivering us from the practice of sin. So you know when we act in sin, the sin that we are committing has penalties. But continually acting sin because of the world that we are in, you know it's also a problem. So God delivers us from the practice of sin by sanctification. See, Jesus finished work. And finally, glorification. He's freeing us from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do you see that? He's delivering us from the presence of sin. Glorification. So the sin that was inside of us, he dealt with it by what? Regeneration. The sin that we act, he delivers us from the penalty of it and by the practice of it, by justification and what? Sanctification. And the sin that is in the world around us, he will deliver us from it by what? Glorification. So that's why he has saved us, regeneration. He is saving us. He has saved us, regeneration and justification. He is saving us, sanctification. And he will save us, glorification. Glory to Jesus. That's why if someone comes and tells you that everything has been complete, you have been saved. So anyhow you are doing now, go on. You see, the person wants to destroy your life. Because glorification is waiting in France. Oh, come on, let's look at what the Bible says. Regeneration. Freed from the power of sins. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 12. Since he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Thus, thus obtaining eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then would the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself on blemish to God, cleanse our what? Consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He purged our consciences, our hearts, that, our, that tendency, that faculty, that part of our ontology, that part of us, our makeup, whereby we are predisposed to doing evil. He said even that part, he has purged it. Praise God. Even that part he has purged it. Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8 of the same Hebrews. From verse 8. I love this one so much. He says, But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Praise God. He has given us a tender heart. He has removed our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of what? Flesh. That's what we can respond to God. That's what we can even have impressions that God can speak to us. That's why our hearts can testify. The Holy Spirit can testify to our heart that we are children of God, because our heart has been made soft. So our heart is, because our heart is tender and soft towards God, we don't want to do the thing that makes God unhappy. Questions like, what if I'm doing evil when Jesus comes, will not come to your mind because you are regenerate. Because you don't even want to do what God does not want. Do you understand what's happening here now? The laws are no more external. The laws are now inside you. You have purged your, there are some questions that come from a conscience that is not purged. How much sin can I commit and I'll still make heaven? Your conscience is not purged. 
What if I'm committing fornication when Jesus returns? Your conscience is not touched. You cannot even be considering that kind of thing. Look at Romans chapter 8 that we're reading earlier. Look at, let's just jump to verse 9. He said, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So all of us that have this, all of us that have the Holy Spirit, we are God's property. We are God's property, so the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of what? Righteousness. So that flesh, that's why glorification is coming. Jesus has given us a new heart, but we are still carrying a flesh about. Do you understand that? A time is coming when he will now deliver us from that flesh in glorification. So he says, even though your, 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 your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of what? Righteousness. So yes, you have a flesh, but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So you can put what those people cannot do, that by compulsion, they must yield into the flesh because they don't have anything to put the flesh under. You have something greater than the flesh. It's called the spirit of God. That's why it now says, and if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in... So I'm not under compulsion to sin. Say, I'm not a slave of sin. I am regenerated. My heart is tender towards God. The laws of God are inside of my heart. My conscience has been purged of dead works. Hallelujah. Praise God. Is God not good? So we, are, we have been freed from the power of sin. So sin is not under a complete sin to me, except God is a liar. How many people believe God can lie? Except God is a liar. If you have any sin that is disturbing you, you are regenerate. You have the Holy Spirit. You can overcome it. In fact, you will overcome it. You understand what I'm saying here? It's called regeneration. It's called regeneration. The experience of unbelievers and your own are not the same. They will say, ah, this sin has got me by a chokehold. I can't, I can't let go. No sin has you by a chokehold. Whatever the addiction is, you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying to you? You can overcome. That's what regeneration means. Justification. Romans chapter 3. We have been free from the penalty of sin. Romans chapter 3. Verse 23. This one is very plenty in the Bible. Let's just read Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'll give you the rest to write down. He says, For all have sinned and are fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Glory to Jesus. All are what? Justified freely. Say, I'm justified. I've been freed from the penalty of sin. Praise God. If we go to chapter 4, verse 25, I love the way he says it there. He said, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Romans 4, verse 25, he was raised to life for our justification. Say, I'm justified. This is the reason why you know you are going to heaven. You have been justified. You have been pardoned. You have been pardoned. Your pardon has been signed. Praise God. You have been pardoned. Check Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. I'm not hiding. Adam, when Jesus showed up, when God showed up, he's the same thing anyway. When God showed up in the garden and said, where are you? What, did, what was he doing? He was hiding. That's not your story. 
The fear that brings torment, that on judgment day that makes people to be afraid is not your portion. Because perfect love has banished that fear completely. On judgment day, you'll be happy to see Jesus. Do you not say that? If see, listen to me, listen to me. Uh-huh. Let me sound a, a little bit uh, gracious, all right? Uh-huh. Listen. If anybody is telling you of our Lord's coming and the emotions you are having about the Lord's coming is fear, problem, wow. Of recent, after I think like two weeks ago, after preaching, I saw this thing just occurred to me. I was just praying, Jesus, please come. Instead of arguing, pastor, because you are married. <laughs> I'm not trying to explain that you are carnal. Because the coming of our Lord is sweeter than your marriage. So those of us that were elected to marry before he comes, we are blessed. <laughs> but do not count this loss, for our Lord is more beautiful than marriage. If anybody is telling you, if you are thinking of the Lord's coming and his fear that you are having in your heart, is wrong. It's wrong. Because the coming of our Lord should give you joy. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. This thing is very sweet. It's very delicious. We have peace with God. God's love for us has been shared abroad and it is perfect. It has completely banished fear. So the most holy God, the thrice holy God, the all holy God that cannot behold any sin has done a work in us that can make him to behold us. Do you understand that? That is where Paul meant when he says that we have righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He did a work by which God can also behold us as righteous. Hallelujah. Write down 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Write down Galatians 2, verse 16 to 17. Galatians 2, verse 16 to 17. Write down Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Hallelujah. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Praise God. So we have been justified. Say, I have been justified. Number three, we are being sanctified. We are being sanctified. He has set us apart as his holy people, but he's also purifying and cleansing us and keeping us holy and tender for himself. He's keeping our heart tender unto himself. He's purifying our actions so that consistently we are growing and growing and growing to live more honorably for him. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Hallelujah. So we're meant to purify ourselves. We're meant to grow in purification, to grow in holiness, to grow in sanctification. The things that we used to do before, we're not supposed to be doing them tomorrow because we're supposed to grow out of it. Hallelujah. So, the Lord is freeing us from the practice of sin because every sin is great evil. The Lord is doing a work inside of us whereby the practice of doing evil, we can grow out of it. So, he's saving us from our practice of sin. So, that is why anything that God uses to deal with sin in your life, that thing is saving you. Sorry, it's hearing sin. Do you understand what I just said now? Anything that God uses to deal with sin in your life is saving you. That's why you see some things in the Bible that you know these people don't understand. When you see some things in the Bible, he will say the word of God saves you. He will say baptism saves you. He says all these things saves you. Anything that God is using to cleanse you and purify your mind, to increase your sanctification and make your heart tender towards God, that thing is saving you. Coming to church is saving you. Praise God. 
2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common purpose. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Hallelujah. We must purge ourselves of filthy things. This is another thing. These four things that God is doing for us, any man that God saves, he will complete that work in the person. So, there is not supposed to be any middle ground. We're not supposed to be talking about certain people that were regenerated and justified, but not sanctified and not glorified. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Reject any analogy that exempts anyone of this thing that God is doing in us. Because from, from people, it's easy to talk about regeneration. Sometimes they don't even talk about regeneration, they talk about justification. They like justification. But they will skip sanctification. Then we shout about glorification. Anybody, any gospel that talks about what Jesus did in us must deal, deal with sin, must deal with sin everywhere that sin is. So we must purge ourselves, First John. We must purge ourselves as the Lord also purges us. First John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have flesh and we find ourselves doing acts of evil, isn't it? So when you have done evil, don't say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, this is not me. That is you. You just did what you usually do. You've done evil. Don't say, this is not me. This is not me. Says, let, me let me just continue. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us out of all words of righteousness. So you see what he says in 2 Corinthians 7. He says we should, purge, we should purify ourselves. In 2 Timothy, he says we purge ourselves. John now says God also purifies us. He cleanses us. He cleanses us. He cleanses us. We have a responsibility in the practice of sin to discipline ourselves, to live as Christ is, to involve our volition and our wills, to be pleasing unto God. <clears throat> but God himself is also doing what? Purifying us. Hallelujah. See, I'm freed from the practice of sin. See, I'm being freed from the practice of sin. Praise Jesus. And finally, glorification. 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 We are freed from the presence of sin. A time is coming when sin and all the evil that it causes will no more be around us. There will no more be terrible neighbors and terrible colleagues. No more bad presidents and corrupt politicians. No more armed robbers. No more evil workers. No more sin. No more sickness. No more cancer. No more malaria. No more depression. No more schizophrenia. Ah, glory to Jesus. The time is coming when there will be no more poverty. No more I don't have money. No more I want to fornicate. No more porn addiction. No more masturbation. The time is coming when God's going to deliver us from all the corruption of this world. Praise Jesus. The time is coming there will be no more death. No more money. No more loss. No more futility. No more limitation. The time is coming when we'll be completely glorified. The time is coming when there will be no more tiredness. No more weakness of the body. 
No more of all those things. No more mental illness. No more bodily illness. No more wicked colleagues and wicked friends and irresponsible fathers and abandonment mothers and useless siblings and terrible cousins and wicked extended family members and unreasonable men and wicked men. All those things. The time is coming. Glory. Hallelujah. When we'll be freed from the presence of all those things. Praise Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 27. It says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have Christ in us and we have a hope that will not be cut short. That hope is that a glory is coming. Let's look at the way that glory was described. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, instead with our, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Praise Jesus. He says a time is coming when is our mortal body will be swallowed up by life. This is, the, this is the purpose of the one who fashioned us. He, he fashioned us for this very purpose. He created us for this purpose, that is glory that is coming. The time is coming, we're going to have a body. It's very similar to the one that the kind of one that Jesus used to just flex for us after he rose from the dead. When all these physical limitations and all that will not have a place on it. Glory to Jesus. Look at the way Romans chapter 8 puts it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, we are suffering now. Don't let anybody tell you that Christian suffering is strange. Don't let anybody victim blame you and say you are suffering because you don't have enough faith. Don't let anybody blame you and say and make you be, become legalistic and be, be having despair and depression and be feeling like as if everything is your fault because you're not confessing enough. You have not held it in your mind long enough and all those, all those, all those silly, silly other things. Brother and sister, we are suffering in this world. It makes perfect sense. God is the one that put limitations on the earth. But look at what he says. He said this suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that glory is not when we become president of Nigeria. We've already had a pastor as vice president. Are we still suffering or not? Where's the glory? Verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope. God did it on purpose. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. The decay that is in this world, that we are bondage to, our outward man is perishing. We are mortal. That's what sickness is, is decay of the body. That's what mental illness is, is decay of the mind. That's what all these things are. Decay. You know, it says, and brought us into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The time is coming. We are going to be free of all these things. Hallelujah. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth. Right up to the present time. Not only so, but even we ourselves. We ourselves are, gro are groaning. It is normal for the Christian experience to go through tough times. It's not only you. It's all of us. 
Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly. That's what I was telling you, that when you are thinking of the glory that is coming, we are meant to be ex- eagerly expecting it. It is normal for you to be praying, Jesus, come. It is normal for you to be desiring, Lord, come. Father, return to us. Return to us and put an end to all this decay. He says we are waiting eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if, the, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it what? Patiently. So we have a hope. We don't have it yet, obviously. Our bodies are not glorified yet, obviously. We are waiting for it patiently. We are waiting for it eagerly. We are waiting for it eagerly and patiently because it will come. Praise Jesus. He says we were saved in this hope. This is why we were saved. We were not saved to make more money. The Lord has allotted unto us our different boundaries of times. The Lord has put us in different places and put different faculties inside of us. Our salvation is not about temporary things. This is why we were saved. We have a hope of glory. Even your money, no matter how much it is, cannot deliver you from the decay of this world. It cannot. In many ways, having much money can even open you to new levels of decay that poor people don't know. You understand what I'm saying now? That's why a certain natural poet said it's lonely at the top. Hallelujah. (laughs) There are certain, you know, you know money cannot buy love. You know money cannot buy love. You know money cannot buy true friendship. You know money can even make it worse that you not see true friends. You know money can make it that you'll be lonely at the top. When, when money mixes with the flesh, the combination is terrible. The money you did not have for drugs, you now have it. The money you did not have for lasciviousness and debauchery, you now have it. When you do not have money, you are still, still behaving safe. Then you now have money now, and then the temptations you did not know were possible. We did not know that there were so many fine girls in the world. All of a sudden, money entered, you now discovered that after one, there's two. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. When the time is coming, we'll be delivered. Philippians chapter 3. Just permit me to just take a little bit of time. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies. Praise God. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Decay is going to end one day. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, glory to God. Look at verse 35. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? With what, with, with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it his own body. Not all flesh is the same. 
People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds are another, fish are another. There are also heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars different from star to star in splendor. So will it be, praise God, with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in what? A time is coming. There will be no more menstrual pain. No more monthly. You understand what I'm saying? It's sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Why are you laughing? Are you not looking forward to it? Hey, see me see trouble. They are saying something. You are laughing. You are saying, Amen. Glory to God. If there is a natural body, there's also a what? Spiritual body. Hallelujah. We are going to have a spiritual body one day. And that glory is coming. So Jesus dealt with sin everywhere. So we are the saints of God. Yes, there might be sin in this world. Yes, sometimes that we might fall, but Jesus has dealt with sin everywhere. Jesus has dealt with sin everywhere that he is. And not only that, maybe next Sunday we'll, we'll just, maybe next Sunday we'll, I'll add this to something else. I'll talk about it. He has dealt with sin everywhere and he's the one keeping us until the end. It's his work from start to finish. Obviously, those that are truly saved will, will join him in the work. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But it is his work from start to finish. He's the one that regenerates us, praise God. He's the one that justifies us, amen. He's the one that purifies and cleanses us when we confess, hallelujah. And he's the one that will glorify. Who has he that has started his work in us will keep us. Brothers and sisters, don't let anybody make you afraid if you have believed the gospel. If you have believed the gospel, I want you to know that God has you. God has got you. He will keep you until the end. And you know what I'm saying to you? When we talk about this next one. I want you to know that if you're a child of God, you have believed in your heart and you have professed it, God will keep you. God will keep you. The one that started the work of regeneration in you will not cut it short as sanctification. He will make sure he finishes it in glorification. You understand what I'm saying to you? You that you have experienced what it means for the Holy Spirit to witness to your heart that I'm a child of God, you will experience what it is to see Jesus face to face. Let's bow our heads and let's give God thanks. Give God thanks. Give God thanks. You have what you say. You have asked according to the will of God. You will not be disappointed. Everyone that put their trust in God, he does not put them to shame. The Lord has heard and he will perfect all your things. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All, everyone with any kind of addiction, I pray for you. I pray for you as your pastor. I pray for you as your elder. I pray for you that you enjoy freedom. In the name of Jesus. The Lord is at work in you, freeing you from the practice of sin. In the name of Jesus. I pray for everyone who is in trouble. Everyone who is in any kind of trouble. I pray for you, the Lord will make a way out. In the name of Jesus. I pray for you that the Lord will make a way out. In the name of Jesus. Your trouble will turn around for his glory. Your trouble will turn around for his glory. Your trouble will turn around for his glory. In the name of Jesus. Your trouble will turn around to the fulfillment of his plan for your life. I pray for you in the name of Jesus that in a very short time from now, you will look back and you will see that all true God had been in control. In the name of Jesus. I pray for you that in a short time from now, you will look back and you will see that God has been in control all along. In the name of Jesus. The things that have been difficult before now, 
if it is the will of God for you, brethren, I pray for you that the Lord will grant you speedy resolution. In the name of Jesus, I pray for you in faith, believing in our Lord, believing in our God and in His power, that if it is good, if it is noble, if it has been delayed till now, the Lord will grant you speedy answers. In the name of Jesus, Father, we give you thanks. Father, we bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.